Welcome to the wrestling highlights of the week portion of my two cents podcast, where I will be reading off all the results for every promotion that happened from Monday through Friday of this week. And this week will be April 12th through the 17th. This week is the week after mania mania was the big wrestling event of this whole wrestling genre. WrestleMania is the biggest event for wrestling. After WrestleMania is like a whole new calendar year of wrestling starts. It's basically our whole uh, New Year's. That's what WrestleMania is. It's our New Year's. And usually after WrestleMania on their on WWE's umbrella on a Raw or SmackDown, there will be debuts of stars coming in from NXT or returning stars that you haven't seen in a while. But this week, that didn't happen so much, but I'll elaborate on that more whenever I get to that. But let me read off the results of the wrestling promotions that happened this week on the week after Mania. On Monday Night Raw, the first match of the night was Bobby Lashley versus Riddle. Bobby Lashley beat Riddle in a submission. He put Riddle in the hurt lock and Riddle couldn't get out. The Viking Raiders returned. Uh, One of the members of Viking Raiders, uh, Ivar, was injured and Eric had to basically fend for himself. He wasn't on television as much. And while Ivar was getting himself rehabbed up and fixed up, uh, Eric was on the little sub shows like main event and like doing little skits for the 24 seven championship. But now since Ivar is back, Eric and Ivar are now in the tag team picture again and their first match back together was against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander and the Viking Raiders did win their return match as a tag team. Uh, third match of the night was Asuka beating, well, no, Asuka wanting to have her rematch with Rhea Ripley. And it was basically a WrestleMania rematch. Rhea Ripley beat Asuka at WrestleMania to win the Raw Women's Championship, and Asuka and Rhea Ripley had a good match at Mania. This match, it was all right, but you could tell they were fatigued out from already wrestling the night before at Mania, so they had to redo the rematch on Raw, but it was kind of sloppy, but it was still subpar good. But um, Asuka would end up getting the win because Charlotte Flair would interrupt the match. Charlotte Flair came back on this episode of Raw and she cut a promo saying that she is no longer going to be Miss Nice Woman. She's going to be here as a female version of Roman Reigns. Not with the whole acknowledge me deal, but the term of she's here, deal with it. She's going to be a 13-time women's champion. I'm here. I'm the main event. I'm the women's division. I am the best woman wrestler on this planet. She named every woman wrestler on Raw and SmackDown. Let them know I'm back. Yada, yada, yada. So during the Asuka Rhea Ripley match, they go to the outside. Uh, Asuka's about to attack Rhea Ripley. Then out of nowhere, Charlotte, big boots, Asuka on the shoulders. And then she starts beating down on both Asuka and Rhea Ripley, basically throwing her hat back into the ring to let them know, hey, I'm back. I'm here for the women's title. You guys are on notice and such. Uh, the next thing, next match that happened on the show was New Day versus Elias and Jason Wright. 
Yeah, Jackson Riker. Sorry, not Jason. Jackson Riker and New Day beat Elias and uh, Riker by pinfall. It was a good match. New Day's trying to rebounce off of losing their Raw tag team titles to AJ and Omas at Mania. And it was a good match. No more, none less to say about that. Uh, you had segments through the night of uh, Alexa Bliss explaining why she betrayed Bray Wyatt. And during, well, at Mania, and she explained that um, she was once under the spell of darkness of Bray Wyatt, and that was her buddy, her friend. But once he had to disappear, she realized that she didn't need Bray Wyatt. She didn't need him controlling her. She was probably just controlling him and waiting for the right time to betray Bray Wyatt. And that's what happened at Mania. That's what she was basically alluding to. Bray Wyatt kind of re like retaliated with his own words later in the night on his little segment of uh, Bray's Funhouse. And usually in these whole Bray Funhouse uh, segments, you would get Bray Wyatt talking nonsense and here and there. But on this one, you got him basically saying that he is reborn again uh, and that his real friends are here. And in his whole Funhouse, it's him, his puppets, around it all each of these puppets are like former things that align themselves with the whole former Bray Wyatt character you'll get it when you see it there's uh one uh puppet called Huskus the pig one puppet called Sister Abigail and one puppet that is uh god rambling rabbit and another puppet uh god it's a it's a vulture puppet anyway um he basically did a whole Mr. Rogers. I'm here. You guys are here. You guys are all my true friends. And I'm reborn again. And it's basically letting us know that later down the line, we're going to get a Alexa Bliss versus Bray Wyatt type match down the line. Or something's going to come down to Bray Wyatt and Alexa. I don't know what it is. I'm, I enjoy what Bray Wyatt has done with his whole character, the Fiend, his whole deal. Not letting WWE too much touch it, but they touch it enough that you know that WWE has some little inklings into it. But you know that Bray Wyatt is controlling his whole character, the whole storyline driven. So that's all I got to say with Bray Wyatt and the whole Alexa Bliss joint. Miz and Morrison uh, had a handicap match against Damian Priest. Damian Priest lost to Miz and Morrison, obviously because of the handicap, and also because Miz's wife, Maurice, was at um, their manager for the match. She distracted the referee, got on the apron, and Miz um, put, pinned Damian Priest into a schoolboy. Pinned him, one, two, three. Simple and easy. I mean, it was not it was no more, no less with that match. It was basically, okay, get in, get out. And in the main event, you had the triple threat match of Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman versus Randy Orton to see who's next in line to go against Bobby Lashley at the next their WWE's next pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash. Yes, it is entitled WrestleMania Backlash. They wanted to add WrestleMania onto the next title of their pay-per-view, which was stupid. They should have just called it Backlash and continued with the usual tra- the tradition. Sorry for messing up that word. Backlash is usually backlash is now the like 
show after Mania last year. It wasn't Backlash last year. It was no, was it Backlash? Yep, last year it was Backlash because it was the greatest match ever. It was Randy Orton versus Edge. But anyway, I'm just just me sidebarring here. They're stupid for putting Mania WrestleMania in the title of it because now you're now you got a lot of fans just making fun of your pay per view title. Should have just kept the Backlash anyway. Drew McIntyre ends up winning the match, and now you're going to get, again, Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley. But at the end of the match, Drew McIntyre does this whole pose on the turnbuckle and everything else. MVP comes out on the stage. He stands there, and he watches uh, Drew McIntyre pose, and then Drew McIntyre looks at MVP, and he just starts jaw-jacking. And then from behind Drew McIntyre, he gets hit by Mace and T-Bar, the two big guys from the group Retribution. And Mace and T-Bar hit Drew McIntyre with a double choke slam. Now it's leading to the idea that, okay, it's Mace and T-Bar with, Miz, not the Miz, um, MVP and Bobby Lashley, or did MVP hire these two to take out Drew McIntyre? Who knows? We'll have to find out next week on Monday Night Raw. On Tuesday night NXT, you had Karrion Cross starting the show with a pro with a promo saying that he's a fighting champion. He respects Finn Balor for being the champion that he was on NXT, but now I'm back. I reclaimed my title that I never lost. And if anybody wants to come and try to step up and try to take this from me, you can go ahead and try. It's not going to work. That was basically the beginning promo for NXT. The first match of the night for NXT was MSK defending their NXT tag team titles against Drake Maverick and Killian Dame. MSK won the match. It was a nice, quick uh, tag match. I mean, it had some... I mean, it lasted a good bit, but it was movable. It was moving around. There's nothing stagnant about it. It didn't seem like they were waiting for them to get up and do something else. No, it was a quick, um, fast-paced match. But the weird thing about it was that the fans... In the attendance, were booing MSK. MSK is a new upcoming tag team in NXT, and they won the Dusty Classic. They're now the new tag tag team champions. Usually, when that kind of stuff happens, the fans are usually cheery, just like cheering the that type of team if they're a good guy tag team. And these this team is a good guy tag team, and they're what this rep- generation of wrestlers represent: fast pace. Uh, high flying, move around. I mean, just acrobatic style, a tag team. But the crowd was starting to boo them. It didn't make sense. I was watching it and I thought that was kind of weird. But I mean, when I went on Twitter, people were saying, hey, if you were there at the live event, when at the um, takeover, people were booing them then. It didn't come across whenever I watched it at home. It didn't come across as people were booing MSK. But apparently they were. So, I mean, we'll just have to see as the weeks go on whenever they show MSK up on television. I will be paying attention more closely to that. But MSK did beat Killian Dame and Drake Maverick. And then after the match, Imperium, which consists of Fabian Ag- Fabian um, Eigner, uh, Alexander Wolf, and one more guy. God, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Marcel Bartel. There it is. They, Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eigner attacked Killian Dane while Alexander Wolf stayed in the back. And he was just watching those two attack Killian Dane. Killian Dane and Alexander Wolf used to be in a group called um, Sanity, which was led by Eric Young, who's now in Impact Wrestling, 
and Nikki Cross, who was on SmackDown, I believe. This is whenever they were in NXT, what, about 2017. But that tells you how they have some backstory connected to those two. He would just watch as Fabian and Marcel was beating down on Killian Dame. He would just watch. And then after they were done beating him down, Alexander Wolf walked out of the ring and Fabian and um Fabian and Eigner, Marcel Bartel, walked out of the ring and they just didn't like pay didn't they were looking cautious, like, okay, is Alexander gonna hit us? Is he gonna do what was he gonna do? But nothing. They all just stood there and salute, did the signature Imperium pose, and that was it. We'll just see how the story unfolds more down the line of as the weeks go with NXT. Um, they took a look back at the match between Cole and O'Reilly at NXT TakeOver yet again. Great match. If you haven't seen it, go to Peacock. Go to TakeOver Night 2, Stand and Deliver. Watch the main event. It's a nice, good, I believe, 30-minute fight, 30-minute match. It's good. I would suggest watching it. Um, The next match was Mercedes Martinez going against Jesse Kamea. And... Mercedes Martinez beat Jessica May. It was basically a squash match. It was trying to set up uh, Mercedes Martinez calling out Raquel Gonzalez on the announced uh, announcer's booth and letting her know that she's congratulating Raquel Gonzalez, but letting her know I'm next in line for the NXT title. Next match after that was Kushida versus... uh, Santos Escobar for the NXT Cruiserweight title. Santos Escobar came out and he said that he was issuing an open challenge to anybody before he can actually finish saying, I'm issuing an open Kushida's music hit. And we all knew what time it was. Kushida was answering an open challenge from Santos Escobar for the Cruiserweight title. That was a good match. I would say that's the match of the night for NXT. And um, Kushida did change his look. He wasn't wearing the old Marty McFly gear of the blue uh, khaki uh, jeans and the... I don't know if it was like the Back to the Future shoes or whatever type of boots slash shoe that he does wear, but he ends up changing back to old ring of gear, old ring attire by wearing the uh, shorts and some white boots. And I knew off that, I was like, okay, he's wearing new gear. And then as the matches were going, I was like, okay, he's going to win. And then when he did win, I was like, okay, finally they gave Kashida a championship. He's been there long enough. And whenever they did sign him, he already had all this hype around him. So it's finally time that he got a belt. And there you go. He got his championship win. Later after that match, because they went to commercial break after the match. And after they came from back from commercial break, Kashida's in the uh, training medical like little spot. And Jordan Devlin, the guy that lost to Santos Escobar at TakeOver, he came up to and Kushida and congratulated him. And he told him, congratulations for beating Santos Escobar. But you you didn't like really beat the real Cruiserweight champion. He was alluding to that Santos might have beat Jordan Devlin in a ladder match, but he didn't like beat him in a regular match. Climbing a ladder doesn't mean nothing. What really matters is if you pin somebody or you make them submit in the ring. That's what he was alluding to. And he let Kashida know that once I come back from my trip from Ireland, because now he has to go back to Ireland, and we don't know when he'll come back, 
because still we're still in this whole pandemic time crisis. Um, whenever he does come back, he's going to face Kushida for the cruiserweight title. He just told him, "Keep that belt on you. I'll be waiting for you." And Kushida was basically mouthing off, saying, "Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting." Uh, the next thing of the night was Raquel Gonzalez coming out to get her big coronation for winning the uh, the NXT Women's Championship at TakeOver against Io Shirai. And during that, Frankie Monet, the formerly known as Taya Valkyrie in Impact Wrestling, came out and let her, let her uh, let Raquel know that she's here to let Raquel know that I'm here to take that title off of you. I am the new face of the women's division. Raquel told her that, listen... I know who you I know who you are, but next time you interrupt me, there's gonna be some problems. And Raquel let Frankie Monet walk out of the ring nicely. The next thing you know is Frankie Monet's leaving the ring and the crowds are just cheering it on. You hear Rhea Ripley's music. And I'm sitting home and I'm watching. I'm like, okay, why is Rhea here? Rhea Ripley comes down to the ring and then gets inside of the ring. Now, mind you, Rhea Ripley's the Raw Women's Champion, Raquel Gonzalez, the NXT Women's Champion. I was like, okay, they're going to try to set up a match here just to more push Raquel being the new face for NXT. And I was wrong. Raquel and Rhea Ripley smiled, and they embraced one another, and they hugged it out. And then the next thing you know, Bianca Belair's music hits, and Bianca comes down. And now, mind you again, Bianca Belair went against Sasha Banks at WrestleMania, and now Bianca is now the new SmackDown Women's Champion. She comes down, and she gets in the ring. Now, you have Raquel Gonzalez, the NXT Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley, the Raw Women's Champion, and Bianca Belair, the SmackDown Women's Champion, and they're all in the ring with the championships. They were symbolizing that NXT Women's Division is the best women's division in the world. These All three of these women came through NXT, one is still in NXT, and the old guard of the Oscars, the Charlotte Flairs, the um, Sasha Banks, the Becky Lynch, the Bailey, their era is now done, and now this new era of NXT cropped homegrown talent are here to take over, and that's what it was basically symbolizing, and they all hugged each other, they all raised up the belts in the ring, it was a nice good moment. Um, Roderick Strong, after that happened, they went to commercial break, commercial, and then when they came back from commercial break, Roderick Strong walked into William Regal's office with his wife, and Roderick handed Regal his papers and told him, okay, I'm done. Regal asked him, like, are you sure you're done with your, this is the decision that you want to make? Roderick said, yep. And Roderick and Regal shook hands. Regal wished Roderick his best on his future endeavors. I don't think Roderick's like leaving WWE because if they he was leaving, they would have made a whole press release on that. So this is like a storyline right now. I don't know where they're going to take this whole Roderick Strong uh, story. Is he going to Raw? Is he going to SmackDown? Because that's the only places he can go since now he like relinquished and resigned from NXT. I don't know what else is going to happen. I'm just ready to see. And then the main event of, oh, no, no, no. Another match happened. After that, it was um, Isaiah Swerve Scott winning against Leon Ruff. Good match. Nothing much really to report. Uh, Isaiah Scott did beat Leon Ruff. Commercial break 
happens, and then they come back from commercial. Isaiah is getting interviewed, and then you see Leon Ruff beat up on Isaiah after the fact and letting Isaiah know, I'm not done with this. This is over. Whenever I say it's over, I uh, Leon Ruff is getting re payback on Scott because Scott will always attack Leon Ruff before the match and even after his matches. So this is kind of Leon Ruff's payback on Scott. And now in the main event of NXT, it was Bronson Reed, Dexter Loomis, Sashi Shot Z Blackheart, and Ember Moon going against The Way, which consists of Johnny Gargano, Austin Theory, Indy Hartwell, and Candice LeRae. An eight-person intergender tag team match. It was a nice, fun, little intergender eight-person tag match. You'll see Shotzi and Ember Moon hit Johnny Gargano. You never saw Johnny hit Shotzi or Ember because the referee would get him out of the ring or Bronson or Dexter Loomis would hit Johnny or Austin Theory. It's a nice, good little match. And the one little aspect of this whole match was that Indy Hartwell has a crush on Dexter Loomis, so in the match he would try to get close to Dexter, and Johnny Gargano would try to cock block, or Candice LeRae would try to cock block, or even Austin Theory would try to cock block Indy from getting close to Dexter in the ring, or getting even anywhere around Dexter in the ring. Now, towards the end of the match, Dexter had uh, Johnny Gargano in the silencer, which is basically a chokehold maneuver, and she lays down in the ring. And Dexter Loomis lets go of the submission, and he checks on Indy, and he even carries her out of the ring. And then the camera shows cuts to Indy throwing the thumbs up and winking her eye at the camera, letting her know, letting the people know that she got what she wanted. She got Dexter Loomis. So there you go with that. And in the end, Bronson Reed, Shotzi Blackheart, and Ember Moon end up pinning. Austin Theory after Bronson Reed hit a top rope splash onto Austin Theory. So Bronson Reed, Shotzi Blackheart, Ember Moon, and Dex Loomis beat the way on NXT, the, that um, NXT episode. On AEW, you had the Young Bucks beating Pac and Phoenix to retain their AEW Tag Team Championships, in which the Young Bucks came out in silver and gold, not silver and gold, but silver and white, but I will borderline say platinum looking gear. They cut off their tassels and they were wearing like Nike Dior Jordans shoes. I'm not sure how much of they were they really not because Young Bucks make buku money because they are executives in AEW. They also sell a lot of t-shirts and pro wrestling tees. They Then they also have saved up money. So they could have bought some $12,000 shoes just to wear in the ring. But I doubt it because people on Twitter, like yet again, they were criticizing the shoes and they were saying those were fake and they were able to say, okay, this is... They were able to give you specifics on what the shoe will look like, how their shoe is different from actual real Jordan Dior looking shoes. But anyway, the match was good. It was the best match on AEW. Matter of fact, it was the best tag team match throughout this whole uh, week after Mania. If you want to look up great, matter of fact, I'm going to say it like this. Tag team wrestling right now is 
as a whole is good. Raw is starting to pick up on their tag team division. AEW has the greatest tag team division in all professional wrestling right now. NXT has a good tag team division. And SmackDown, they're no slouches neither. But I'm speaking about AEW right now. That was a great match. Uh, the Young Bucks end up beating Pac and Phoenix because um, the Young Bucks first hit Pac with a low blow. And then they ripped off Phoenix's mask and Phoenix was covering his face so nobody could see his face. And then they super kick Phoenix in the face and then they pinned him one, two, three. And all throughout that whole time, Phoenix was still covering his face with his hands. He got super kicked while covering his face and he got pinned while he was still covering his face with his hands. Just to let that be known. Uh, the second match of the night was Jay Cargill going against Red Velvet. It was basically another squash match. This was a match just to prop up Jay Cargill as the future of the AEW Women's Division. Uh, Anthony Agogo beat, I don't know uh, this guy's name. He's basically a jobber in wrestling terms. Jobber is a guy that is just there that you don't care about. A jobber is there to... Make sure that the talent that they that this promotion wants to prop up in a proper light to add uh, to be built up as a superstar to be looked at as a superstar. That's what a jobber is. So let me say this again. Anthony Ogogo beat a jobber and Anthony Ogogo is a former Olympic boxer who is blind in his left eye. So for him to wrestle with still one eye. That says something. And he beat the jobber by punching him in his kidney. And this is the first time in AEW that they had to stop a match just off of something like this. So they're trying to get over that his punches are lethal in at any time. If he punches you, the match could be done. That's what they're trying to get you with this Anthony Gogo fella. So there you go with that one. The next match was Chris Statlander making her re-debut, uh, beating a female called Amber Nova. Yet again, this was another match just to uh, show off and showcase Chris Statlander being a dominant female, yet again, propping her up for, for the AEW Women's Division. AEW Women's Division, yet again, they're in their rebuilding stages. They are not. They don't have the powerhouses uh, like WWE or even Impact Wrestling got, but they are in their rebuilding stages. And once, I guarantee you, Give it about a good another year or two. AEW will have the strongest women's division out there on this planet. If not the strongest, at least a close number second. A close number two. Or you can flip it A, 1A, 1B with WWE in AEW. Like I said, give it another year or two. AEW will have the strongest women's division in wrestling. Um, will Hobbs attacks Christian Cage. After uh, Chris Statlander's match is done, matter of fact, after the commercial break, because Christian Cage is supposed to be giving Team Taz a answer because Team Taz last week, well, Taz came out last week and asked Christian Cage, does he want to be a part of Team Taz? Christian gave it some thought and he said, well, personally, you and Team Taz are not worth it to me right now. I came here to win championships, not to build up your guys, not to build up anybody else. I'm here to win championships and be me. And personally, Team Taz right now is a dumpster fight right now. They're not the best group of guys right now to be for me to try to train or even lead. So no, I don't want to be part of it. Taz took offense to that. So Will Hobbs came in and 
Christian was able to hold his own, but until like the numbers game uh, played effect where Hook, who's his Taz's son, got on the apron and distracted Christian while Powerhouse Hobbs, he ran the ropes and was able to hit uh, Christian with a body splash. And Christian was laid out and he was basically at the mercy of Will Hobbs. Hobbs was just beating up on Christian throughout the whole thing. And he threw Christian into the barricade. It got to a point that Christian was crawling up on the steel steps. And Will Hobbs was walking up steps. He put his foot on Christian's head and just putting more pressure up on Christian. Just basically letting the camera angle and camera work. Showing that Powerhouse Hobbs is a real deal. And Christian can do nothing about it. Christian is at the mercy of Powerhouse Hobbs right now. And that Team Taz is strong. They're not weak. That's what that symbolism was showing you right then and there when Christian Cage was attacked by Will Hobbs. And then the main event was Darby Allen defending his TNT Championship against Matt Hardy. It was a good... And then also was in a fog out anywhere match. It was real chaotic. You had uh, Darby Allen and Matt Hardy brawling from in the ring and out the ring in the crowd. And it even got chaotic to the point that Matt Hardy's stable, which is the Butcher and the Blade private party, came out to try to help him beat up on Darby Allen. And then Darby Allen, uh, watching Darby Allen's back, you had the Dark Order, who has a problem with Matt Hardy and his little group. And then you had Sting, who was personally watching Darby Allen's back because Sting has a personal interest in Darby Allen because he sees a little version of Sting in Darby. So that whole thing was chaotic. Everybody was brawling. You had steel chairs get brought up into the mix. You had Sting throwing his bat to Darby Allen. You had everything else. It was a real chaotic match. As a matter of fact, let me rewind this right now. I believe if you don't want to watch the tag team match of the Young Bucks going against Phoenix and Pac, watch the Darby Allen versus Matt Hardy Fallout Count Anywhere match. You won't be disappointed. I promise you that. And I forgot one more match to happen in AEW. It was Chris Jericho versus Dax uh, Hardwood of the Pinnacle. And Mike Tyson was the special guest, like, ring enforcer of that uh, match. It was a real good one-on-one style match. It lets everybody know that Dax Hardwood can be a singles wrestler if he wanted to. But he is a good tag team wrestler. It basically lets everybody know that he's a jack-of-all-trades. He could tag, he could do a singles match if the time calls for it. And Jericho was a perfect opponent to let everybody know that, hey, this guy is good. He's, whenever we want to throw him the ball as professionals, we can throw him the ball and he'll score a home run. That's all I can say for that, for AEW. It was a good AEW showing. It was a good show for AEW. I don't know what more else to say for that. Now, to Impact Wrestling, who I haven't covered in a minute. Uh, the first match was Josh Alexander beating TJP. And Josh Alexander and TJP had a good match for Impact Wrestling, a good opening match. It was a good whole lot of back and forths throughout the match. Um, this next match was Carl Anderson beating Crazy Steve. There's nothing really much to say about this. This was just basically giving Carl Anderson a win just so uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows can get some momentum going into their tag team title match, going against Finn Juice at Rebellion. Um, next thing was, Violence by Design 
was in a brawl with Eddie Edwards, James Storm, Chris Sabian, and Willie Mack. I mean, they were brawling left, right, left, right. They were brawling inside the ring, outside the ring. It was a quick, like, three-minute brawl, and then they were separated, and James Storm threw out the challenge that at Rebellion, it would be Chris Sabin, James Storm, Willie Mack, and Eddie Edwards going against Violent by Design, which consists of Eddie, not Eddie, uh, Eric Young, um, Rhino, Cody Diener, and uh, what's my man's name, the big guy? God, Christ, uh, Joe Doring. That is an eight-man tag match that was thrown out to a challenge, and it was accepted. So at Rebellion, you'll have Violence by Design going against Eddie Edwards, Willie Mack, James Storm, and Chris Saban. That's what that led to. Uh, after the commercial break uh, was done, Jazz, who was a professional wrestler in ECW, she came back, um, and she had a nice little run in Impact. She had announced that she was retiring because she lost to Deanna Perrazzo at Impact Wrestling's uh, special event for their, like, streaming services, Hardcore Justice. She lost to Deanna Perrazzo. It was career versus title, and Jazz lost. And so Jazz came out. <coughs> Sorry there. Jazz came out and announced her retirement, and she was in the ring with her and Jordan Grace. And... Uh, Kiara Hogan and Tasha Steeles come out and they are making fun of Jazz saying, okay, we get it. You did such great for the business. You did a lot for women around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now is our time. We need you to go. Leave. Go. Bye-bye. But, but uh, Jazz wasn't trying to have that. She told him to get into the ring and we can settle this out. Kiara Hogan and Tasha Steeles wasn't trying to feel it, but then an Impact official came out and said, uh, we were informed that you guys have to go down there and wrestle now. And they were all in street clothes, so none of them were in ring attire, but the match still happened, and Jazz and Jordan Grace were able to beat Tasha Steeles and Kiara Hogan at Impact. Um, the next match was Brian Myers going against Jake something. Brian Myers is now locked into a feud with Matt Cardona, the formerly known as Zack Ryder from WWE fame. And both of them had to pick each other's opponent. So Brian Myers had to pick Matt Cardona's opponent for tonight. And Matt Cardona had to pick Brian Myers' opponent for tonight. And Matt Cardona picked Jake something to go against Brian Myers. Brian Myers and Jake Sun had a great match. It was quick. It was easy for everybody to understand. It was basically the young vet going against the rookie and having the rookie follow the vet. And that's exactly what happened. Brian Myers beat Jake something with a running clothesline, and that's ended that match. While on the opposite end, Brian Myers picked Sammy Callahan, who was a nasty, dirty, brawler, cheater, who would do anything to get the win, to go against Matt Cardona in his match. And before the match even started, Sammy Callahan came from behind and attacked Matt, Car Matt Cardona. And um, to end the match off, Matt Cardona got hit with the package pile driver from Sammy Callahan to win. So right now, Matt Cardona lost his pick and he lost his match. So technically, it's 2-0 to Brian Myers to Matt Cardona. 
And then the main event, the big main thing for Impact was Rich Swan and Kenny Omega had their press conferences to set up their title versus title at Rebellion. It will be Kenny Omega putting up his AEW World Heavyweight Championship against Rich Swan's Impact Wrestling Championship. The winner of that match will be the champion of both companies, and that person will have to compete on both shows. That's what it is. And bonus street, Mauro Ronaldo, a guy who does uh, announcing on um, boxing and MMA, who was once a former announcer for WWE's product of NXT in 2016 until he went to the main roster and then he left WWE for a little bit and then he came back and then he did the announcing again back for NXT. Yeah, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went back to NXT and he did announce it for them. Anyway, he's now going to do the announcing uh, job commentary for that main event in Impact Wrestling. That's another shot to WWE. That's basically been a shot all around for WWE, and you can expect more shots coming later. And during the press conference, you had Rich Juan showing up, being professional on time, but Kenny Omega wasn't there on time. You had Tony Khan, the AEW owner, with his guy Jerry Lynn on one side of the panel. You had Rich Swan with Scott Demore on the other side of the panel representing Impact Wrestling. And Tony Khan and his guy was representing AEW. Sorry, let me just plan that out there. Um, Josh Matthews was the guy in the middle um, scheduling and setting up this press conference, running the questions off and everything else. Um like two minutes into the press conference, Kenny Omega walks in and he has his music and everything playing. And it just whole this whole big pompous and circumstance for Kenny Omega to walk through like he's God's greatest gift to wrestling, which that's what they're trying to portray. Kenny Omega gets on the panel. He shakes Tony Khan's hands. He shakes Jerry Lynn's hand. He shakes Josh Matthews hands. And he just sits down all pompous. And right behind him was the invisible hand, his manager, his guy, his family, Don Callis. Don Callis works for TNA, but he manages Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers and the Young Bucks on AEW. So there you go with that. Um, He was basically took over the press conference. He told Josh Matthews to get out of here and he let it'd be known that, yes, he likes Rich Swan. He respects Rich Swan. He brought Rich Swan into the fold. He wanted Rich Swan to be in the main event of Slammiversary last year. He was always trying to put uh, into people's ears Rich Swan this, Rich Swan that. But now since Rich Swan is going against family, he can't deny that family's going to win. Not because it's family. But it's because Kenny Omega is the best wrestler on the planet. He is the best bout machine. He is everything. He's the greatest wrestler ever that that ever was. That's his whole uh, spiel for Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega grabs the remote, the mic. He tells Rich, "Hey, listen, I respect you. I I respect what you have done for Impact. I get it. But here's the deal. Here's where me and you difference." You love what you do. You love wrestling. Me, I consider this as a, I was born to do this. The wrestling business needs me. This whole 
business area, this whole thing, it needs me. Without me, this place is going into the mud. I am propping this business up. I am propping wrestling up into something better. Without me, it's nothing. Yet again, being God's gift, that's what Kenny Omega's whole situation is. And he lets, and he tells the camera people, and the video photographer, she tells them, hey, listen, you guys need to catch this. Because right now, after I'm done, this will be this is now the last time you're gonna see me be cordial to this man. Because next time you see me and him, it's gonna be us as wrestling, and I'm gonna try to kick his head off and win that championship. So he tells Rich to get up. He put extends his hand out. Rich is about to shake his hand, and Rukini slaps Rich Swan across the face. And now you get into a brawl. So this is now their like pay-per-view hype up. For you to buy their pay-per-view next Sunday, um, Rebellion. I would say, if you arrest, if you like uh, wrestling like that, do it. I mean, I'm personally going to be looking at it on Twitter to see who wins the match and everything else. Because Impact right now, to me, doesn't have. I mean, it has great wrestling. I'm not gonna knock it, but it doesn't have like who I would like pay my money to like to see this one. I will pay. 30 bucks or 40 bucks for this pay-per-view to see it. Not for me. One match is good. The Rich One and Kenny Omega match is good. Yes. But I need a whole pay-per-view card to for me to invest me throwing money into. That's just me. But if you want to throw money into this pay-per-view, do it. I'm not going to crap on it and say don't do it. I'm just saying for me, I'm going to look at it on Twitter because people on Twitter are going to highlight it for me and I'll be able to find it. Somehow, some way later on Twitter and understand it and able to piece it together. That's just me. Okay. Now, moving on to the last show of wrestling for the week, Friday Night SmackDown. It comes, it starts off with Roman Reigns coming out and he's basically gloating and peacocking it and basically showing off. I'm the man. I said what I was going to do. I Babe Ruth it. I called my shot. I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I was going to beat him up. And I was going to snatch, stack them on top of each other. And I was going to pin them. And he did do that. Granted, he let it be known that, hey, nobody here on SmackDown is on my level. I did what I was supposed to do. So what me and Paul and Jay are about to do, we're about to get out of here. Cut the, they're going to have them cut the check and tell them to start the private plane up and get me out of here. As soon as him and Paul, as soon as Roman gives Paul the microphone, and Paul gives the microphone to stagehand. They're about to walk out. Cesaro gets from the back. You hear Cesaro's music play. He gets in the ring. He stares down Roman Reigns. Basically let him know that I'm next in line for that championship. And as Cesaro was going to get a microphone, Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Jay Uso all get out of the ring. And they're not even looking back at Cesaro in the ring. They just keep walking to the back and Roman is just shaking his head and just talking mass smack. Like, can you believe this guy walking out here during my time? Man, please, this guy's nothing. He's a nobody in such and everything else. While Cesaro is is in the ring and the camera cancel pans over to Cesaro, and Cesaro is visibly pissed off. And he's like, How dare these guys walk away from me? So that was the first segment of the night. As soon as the commercial as soon as they come back for commercial, Cesaro walks up to Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville. Adam Pierce is the guy that makes the matches for SmackDown. And Sonya Deville is like his little right-hand uh, partner to help him make these matches on SmackDown. 
He tells him that he wants Roman Reigns tonight. He knows he doesn't want it for the championship. He just wants to go out there and beat Roman Reigns and show everybody and show the Reigns that I can beat you. And Sonya Deville says, let me talk to Paul Heyman. Let me talk to Roman Reigns to see if he's able to compete tonight. Cesaro says, like, okay. And that's it for that. And the first match of the night was Rey Mysterio going against Otis. This thing has been a nice little solid, like little mini rivalry, if you would say, because Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic has been having a little problem with Otis and Chad Gable and Otis been squashing Roman Rey, not Roman, but Rey Mysterio every time they're in the ring. So this time it's Rey Mysterio looking for payback and Rey Mysterio ends up beating Otis and there you go for that one. Um, Paul Heyman announces that in the main event, you will be Cesaro going against main event Jey Uso. Not Roman Reigns, because Roman Reigns doesn't have time for this. And for Cesaro to want to be at the top of the ladder, he has to go against Jey Uso. So there you go. You will go against main event Jey Uso. Back into the ring, Sami Zayn calls out. Kevin Owens, because at Mania, Sami Zayn says he got screwed, and he's constantly just calling out Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, obliged, comes out. They're in the ring gear. They're about to have the rematch of WrestleMania. The match happens. Kevin Owens wins by countout, and Kevin Owens isn't happy by that when he goes out of the ring, brings Sami Zayn back into the ring. He hits Sammy with a stunner, and that's how you leave that match. The match was about a good 10-minute match. It was good. Mania match was way better, but, I mean, this television is for free, so what else would you expect? Apollo Crews um, introduces the man that helped him uh, retain, not not retain, regain the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania, and the guy's name is Commander Aziz. They basically just put that name onto the guy that was on Raw Underground, who was Dabakato on Raw Underground. He was a big guy who was basically the big monster on Raw Underground, who nobody could beat except for Braun Strowman, when Braun Strowman basically ended Raw Underground. He comes back now as a new character, Commander Aziz, to watch out for Apollo Crews and make sure Apollo stays healthy and retains his Intercontinental Championship. That's all Commander Aziz is there for. Next segment, Street Profits hold a championship celebration for Bianca Belair. Backstory on this, Bianca Belair is the wife of Montez Ford, and who is a part of the Street Profits. Street Profits are two dudes, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford. So, Bianca Belair is married to Montez Ford, and Street Profits hold a championship celebration for Bianca Belair. Bianca comes out. Bianca's so happy. She holds her belt up. She tells why WrestleMania was so important because fans were able to see it. She was able to perform in front of fans, but also that her and Sasha Banks made history. They were the two first black females um, main event in WrestleMania. This was a huge milestone for women that looked like her and little girls that were watching at the stadium and watching at home that they can do anything they ever want to do in this life. You can accomplish anything if you just do the hard work and continue to believe in yourself. Anything is achievable. 
She gave props to Sasha Banks for uh, being there and helping make history because it takes two to tango in this business to make history. But she did give a warning that, hey, if you ever want to try again, I'm still here. I'm the champion. And I left you with a mark. And the mark that she's talking about is at WrestleMania, Bianca Belair hit Sasha Banks with her braid and the braid left a marking on Sasha Banks side. So that's the mark that she's talking about. At the end of the celebration, uh, Bianca Belair gave a little pep talk to Montez Ford and Angel the Dog has told him that, okay, now it's your guy's time to win some gold around y'all waist. Because the next matchup was Street Profits versus Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Great tag match. Nothing to, nothing bad to say about it. Uh, Street Profits, however, did not win. They lost to Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. And uh, so we'll just have to see what more else would happen with the tag team division of SmackDown. Tag team division of SmackDown is light, but I have a feeling that it's not going to be light uh, for so long. I have a feeling that some other tag teams are going to either be made in makeshift or certain tag teams that are uh, that w- were not featured on television a lot are going to be popping up on SmackDown to just give Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode a challenge and also to beef up their tag team division. Uh, Natalia beat uh, Shayna Baszler in a quick match. It was a nothing. It was a throwaway match. And that's all I got to say about that. Throughout the whole night, they were beefing up and showing the exact same highlights of Cesaro swinging uh, Seth Rollins on his shoulders constantly throughout the night. It's basically giving you guys, okay, Cesaro's the next guy up. We want Cesaro to be the guy. This is the guy that we're pushing to the main event slot. We're going to give you guys what you want. Let's see what he got. So in the main event, we got Cesaro versus Jey Uso. It was a good straight match nothing more to say but the ending kind of messed with me uh the ending of the match was Seth Rollins coming out and he hits Cesaro from behind he beats up on Cesaro a little bit and Cesaro basically gets the win by disqualification so Cesaro did beat Jay Uso but by disqualification because Seth Rollins came out and Seth Rollins beats up on Cesaro and then he walks on the ramp and then he yells at the ring as Cesaro is holding his head. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginner and the end. I am the best in this business. Nobody is better than me. You're not better than me. Go on this whole diatribe. But basically saying, this whole thing will end whatever I say it is done. And that's how we lead SmackDown off with Seth Rollins basically yelling towards the ring as Cesaro say, I'm the man. This ends when I say he's done. No debuts or re-debut. Well, well, technically, there was a re-debut on, some, on Raw for the Viking Raiders. But other than that, oh, yeah, and Charlotte Flair. But, I mean, like, come on. We're talking about notable names to come back. We were thinking Aleister Black would come back or Keith Lee would come back or some guys from NXT would be making their debut on a Raw or something like that. But that didn't happen. I will see more as the wrestling week, well, wrestling goes on for weeks to come. But I doubt it. Hopefully they do do something more with other people coming out and doing something for this week. I mean, they did just lose 
10 people on their roster. WWE happened to fire 10 people this week to continuing the tradition of getting rid of people the week after Mania. Last week, they got rid of 15 people on their roster, and that was during the beginning of the pandemic. Now, this time, since people are basically, and wrestling is starting to get back, well, they're back in the swing of things. They can't travel everywhere like they used to, but they're back in the swing of things, in which I mean by AEW is open, Impact Wrestling is open, Ring of Honor is open, uh, New Japan is open, WWE is open for business, independent wrestling shows in different states are open, which means that wrestlers can actually jump from places to place to actually perform and start getting some money or actually able to do what they need to do. Last year wasn't the case because pre-pandemic, because the beginning of pandemic, we didn't know what we were doing. The whole world didn't know what they were doing. So everything was shut down. And once everybody got fired, well, a lot of talent got fired last year. Everybody let the WWE completely side eye. And once you should, let's be honest, firing somebody at the beginning of the pandemic was harsh big harsh and that's why you got side eye looked now with these roster cuts i'm gonna name you the 10 people that did get cut and i'm gonna tell you the person that got that was like really shocking to me and as a matter of fact i'm just gonna list them off now and as each person gets listed i'm gonna tell you if i was shocked or not really uh the first person that got shocked that no the first person that got uh released was mojo raleigh it wasn't shocking second person that got released peyton royce okay i was shocked Billy Kay, okay, I was shocked. Bo Dallas, wasn't shocked. Kalisto, wasn't shocked. Wesley Blake, wasn't shocked. Tucker, wasn't shocked. Mickey James, wasn't shocked. Chelsea Green, eh, wasn't really, really wasn't shocked. And Samoa Joe, I was big shocked. I was shocked the most. Samoa Joe one will shock me the most. Now, let me explain to you why I wasn't shocked that Mojo Raleigh or Bo Dallas or Kalisto or Wesley Blake... Tucker, Mickey James, Chelsea Green. You didn't see those talent on television. When you're on television, that's how you, the entertainers make their money. When you're on television and you're fresh in the audience eyes, people will remember you. People will keep you in their mind. But when you're not, that's a complete problem. You're not clicking. You're not that fresh ingredient. You're not that constant reminder that they're, you're there. And with those towns that I didn't name off right there, they weren't on television every week. Unlike Samoa Joe, he was on Raw every week as a commentator. He was doing commentary for WrestleMania. And when that Monday night that just happened, he wasn't on commentary. Okay, we all thought, okay, he's getting back in the ring. WWE's going to get him back in the ring. And nope, he got fired. That was the biggest shock for me. Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. Billy Kay was just wrestling at WrestleMania on night one. And she was just doing that, and you let her go. Peyton Royce, yeah, sure, she wasn't on television, but she had a good, she wasn't on television, but she was just on television, what, what, three or four weeks ago? So basically a month or three weeks ago, she was literally just on television. And people were clamoring for Billy, not Billy, but Peyton Royce to get an opportunity and get her shot. And you guys didn't. You guys did it. You gave it to Oscar. But other than that, boop, nothing more, none less. So you got rid of Billy Kay and Peyton Royce and Samoa Joe, three talent who you didn't really have to get rid of. Everybody else I can understand, and I can say, yeah, you can get rid of them. 
I personally wouldn't have cared. And I don't care about those other people that they, they got rid of. Yes, I care about them in the sentimental terms. As a human being, they got fired. You don't ever want people to be getting fired, especially right now since we're still doing a pandemic crisis uh, situation. But as a person that's looking at it logistically and storyline purposes and a guy that looks at everything as a big picture deal, I can't truly be upset with those they, those seven that did get released. But the ones that I am upset about, Smojo and Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, I'm upset about. Smojo was a main eventer. The WWE fumbled the bag on and fumbled the ball so many times. Him versus Brock Lesnar, a great balls of fire. He should have beaten Brock Lesnar for the universal title then. And if not, then, okay, give it to him whenever, if you want to protect Brock Lesnar. And during that SummerSlam, whenever it was uh, Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns versus Samojo versus Brock Lesnar for the universal title, have Samojo put Roman Reigns to sleep and have him win the title there. Okay, you don't want to do that? Okay, the next year, whenever uh, Samojo was in a rivalry with AJ Styles, have him beat AJ for the WWE Championship. You should have had Samojo been a WWE Champion at least one time in his career for WWE. Yes, he held the NXT title twice, but that does not mean the WWE Championship. WWE Championship is a bigger prize than the NXT title. You People are going to say, Joe, how dare you? But it's true. It is big true. People might say, oh my God, that is so... No, it's true. It's fine. You can hate it all you want, but it is facts. You want to be the WWE Champion. You want to be the Universal Champion. Those are the championships that you want. NXT title, you want to be when you're in NXT. But the big overarching picture... For WWE, their big old arch is for you to be their WWE champion or the universal title. And I say the universal title now because Roman Reigns has propped up that universal title so much that it is at the contendership level of the WWE championship as in of competitiveness. Roman Reigns has made that universal title competitive. He's made it the standard bearer. He has made it what it is. And I'm not crapping on anybody else that's held that universal title before. But with this new character, Roman Reigns, being the head of the table, that universal title is at the top, literally, of the heap. It is in contendership with the longevity of that WWE championship. And as a matter of fact, if we really want to be controversial with it, that universal title right now kind of weighs more than that WWE championship, as in, like, not even going to say prestige, but of importance right now. The WWE Championship is a hot potato championship between certain guys that you only like, okay, we could probably put him here to hold the belt until we want to give it to this guy. Roman Reigns came back and he became Universal Champion and he's been propping up the Universal title and making it the most important championship because he holds it. And whenever he holds it, he makes it important. That's the thing. And also another thing for it, he has now replaced the Velcro strap on his belt and replaced it back with the button, the actual championship where you have to button it, clip it, so you can actually secure it around his waist if he ever wanted to do that. But those were the sidebars. Samoa Joe should have won at least a world title. Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, they should have never gotten split from being the Iconics. They were a great female tag team, and WWE screwed that up. I don't know why they want to screw up tag teams so much. I don't know why they want to keep on, like, breaking up tag teams and then have one 
person do good and then you just kill off the other member of a tag team. That would never make sense to me, ever. If you have a great tag team, you let that tag team do their job, be entertaining, or be the great good guy or good gal tag team, or be that heel bad uh, tag team that they are. But that's WWE for you. But these talent that have gotten released, they have a 90 days uh, no-compete clause from what I'm understanding some of them do, some of them don't. I'm not sure of who and who don't, but I'm pretty sure WWE gave them 90 days, no compete. What that means is you have 90 days, you can't compete, you get paid from WWE throughout those 90 days. So for three months, these get people, these guys and gals will be getting money from WWE just to sit home. And if I was them, I would try to call up every promoter that I can. So whenever this whole thing is done, you can show up at a promotion or have some indie bookings lined up. So whenever this whole 90 days is up, you can get out there, start getting money, start getting track, start getting traction. So whenever a big promotion wants to sign you, your name value is up, your you have no ring rust, and you can start getting back in the ring, doing what you do at the highest level that you can. And that was uh the highlights of wrestling for this week. I am um, Gerald Garrett, this has been the highlights of the week. Thank you for paying attention. Um, you will hear from me next week when I give you more highlights of the week for professional wrestling. And this has been G2. I am out. Peace. Thank you. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.